Welcome, everybody, to Dead Talk Live. And me and Xander have been spending the last uh, hour plus just to bring you this interview. And, yeah, Xander, I, I, I mean, I have an IT background, and I, he was telling me all the stuff his computer was doing. But we're here. We are an hour and a half late, but we're here. Xander, thank you so much for being yeah, here. We were actually here on time, but my computer just resists Skype at it, this point. It, 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 I can attest to it. It is Skype resistant, guys. Uh, I think that I was I had an antimatter sort of resistance to wall technology. <laughs> and I was convinced that any any computer, anything I came near would cease to function. It was, and friends that were IT, like serious tech people would go, I, I, I can't explain this. There's no reason why this isn't working. I think it's you. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, we were coming up things. I'm like, okay, we're there. We're going to get it. And then this new problem. But anyway, we're here. I want to thank you, Xander, for the patience that you showed just to be here. And I just thank you so much. Uh, it means a lot to me. And let's just get right to it. And I did have notes, and I'm going to stick to my notes. And what I wanted to tell you, first off, before we start this interview, is in every public appearance that I have seen you in, you are one hell of a sharp, snazzy dresser. I just wanted to tell you that right up front. You are, you have like the best wardrobe, uh, the most colorful wardrobe when you're making public appearances on talk shows. You've got the colorful hats. I would love just to take a look inside your closet. Well, that's a setup for a joke right there. Uh, (laughs) But I'm going to let it go. I'm just going to let it go because I like to rise above cheap opportunities. Um, You know, uh i i think i i think i got like a a couple of indications of of from a very early childhood i loved dressing up a little bit any opportunity and you know i was a bit of a dandy and my sister was two and a half years older and she would always roll her eyes it's not that formal indication (laughs) and but i was like but i can dress up right um and and I just loved it ever since I was a little kid. It was part of the costume thing, I think. Like I think it's awesome. I love your wardrobe. I just wanted to point that out. I think you're a great dresser. Now, as I was trying to figure out how to do this interview, you have 242 professional credits, okay? You have been doing this uh, for professionally for 40 years. Uh, well, this year. coming up with its 40th anniversary very soon. I just agreed to do a little interview thing about it because I think maybe I'm the only person still alive that was in it. No, Diana, of course, is still alive. I hope she does it too. I love her. She played. So, so how was that? In 1981, you do your, I guess, professional film debut in Mommy Dearest. You played uh, Christopher, the adult Christopher Crawford. We know, I know you had a stage background. How did you go from stage, which you're still doing, uh, and cross over into films and get on Mommy Dearest? Well, um, I did a play in New York. I, did, uh, I, I was classically trained. I was doing experimental theater when I was like 15 and uh, taken under under the, the wing of a, of a really great experimental theater group that was in the countryside in New Jersey that had been working with Joseph Chaikin, who was a sort of a god of experimental theater in New York City. And uh, and I, I got into it, and I and I wanted to to do more theater because uh, it was right for me, and and um, and then I started doing Lorca and, and Shakespeare at sixteen and seventeen and stuff like that, and 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 then I, I tried to get a good, uh, well-rounded college education. I was bound for you know I was in the honor society with president of my student council. I was supposed to go to a really good school, and then I went to this sort of experimental brainchild of Smith, Mount Holyoke, Amherst, and UMass in, in Massachusetts uh, called Hampshire College. Mm-hmm. And it was at its inception, a very progressive school. And they allowed you to sort of create your own uh, structure of what you wanted to study. And, and then you would eventually have to do everything, but in order to graduate. But in the beginning, I just did everything in order to graduate in my 
major, which was theater mm -hmm. and art. And um, and after two years, I was doing playing Malvolio in Twelfth Night at, at Mount Holyoke College. And my parents came up and my father saw it and he said, man, it, I, I don't know what more you would need to do this. If this is what you want to do. And he, and he listed the different things that my father did not flatter. And so uh, he said, so if you want to stay here and get a degree, if you want to go to New York, if you want to go to London, I'll back you 100%. And I went, well, that's the only degree I need right there. Wow. So I'll go. And I, and I think right now, now it would be go to London. I was, I was tempted. I was drawn to that. But I went, eh, New York. At the time, it was the 70s. I went to New York. And, uh, and I studied with everybody there. And then I did. A, a, I started doing plays. I, I was disciplined. I wouldn't just go out and start auditioning for plays until I'd studied for two years, so that in my mind I had a degree, and in theater. And then I started auditioning, and I started doing an improv company. And it was an improv company with Chris Chris Elliott when I was nineteen and he was seventeen, and he lives in Maine now too. And so we've been re reunited, but. Um, I did a play, a great play by the wonderful Southern novelist Reynolds Price. It was his first novel that he'd written into a play uh, called Early Dark and an agent, a bunch of agents came. I was freelancing with different agents with every play I did. Um, I, didn't, I hadn't signed with anybody yet. And this guy was like, have you got an agent? Well, I, 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 I'm freelancing. Have you signed with anybody? Not yet. Don't. I'm 10 feet off the ground. This is why I've been in the theater all these years. I, this is why I've, you've reminded me of why I've been doing this. Come into my, my office on Monday morning. And it was like the whole, it was opening night of this play. And I'm 10 feet off the ground. I haven't come down yet. And, and uh, so I went and met with him, <clears throat> mind meld. And he said, look, I'm, don't sign with this company. I'm about to move to William Morris, which was the big. Mm -hmm. And he moved to William Morris a week later, brought me in there and said, sign, but we're going, we're going where I'm going. They've moved me to California. And so he moved to California and he said, you got to come out. I'm, I'm bringing you out. And, uh, you know, I got a, I got a round trip ticket because I've, I've never been to California. I was going to be a serious theater actor. Like, oh, okay. And New York like, is a place to be for that. Yeah. And, but then I was thinking, I do like movies. Oh. <laughs> and in a weird kind of way, I was drawn in the theater that I, I, I was really, I loved doing broad. I, I, was, I was doing, you know, farce. I was doing classics. I was doing everything, experimental theater. But I really was drawn to the minutia of film acting. In my heart, I didn't like going to the theater. I liked doing theater, but yeah. I loved going to the movies. Yeah. And so I was like, oh, the movies. Hmm. And already I was up for some plays that agents, had, I, I mean, up for some movies because I was a certain age in New York. Just a little late for Star Wars. Damn, I look so much like Alec Guinness. No, Mark, you're great. God bless you. Um, and But this guy brings me out to California. Uh, he gets me on the phone right before I leave. He goes, I said, yeah, so I got a round trip ticket. And he goes, change. And he was a wonderful, fabulous guy. Change your round trip to a one way. You won't believe the shit walking around this town calling itself an actor. You're going to start to work and you won't stop. He was and what? I was like, so I changed my round trip to a one way. And I started working and I didn't stop. But it did take a year of just paying pure dues. Yeah. Having eight callbacks for lead roles in things. And wanted to kill myself because. They, I got so close, but they would just keep going with somebody else. I said, so what about not a lead role? What about like, you know, just like a nice part? But this was William Morris and they weren't interested in that. And so I went with another agent. He 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 was like, they're making me book Sonny Bono on the love boat. This isn't what I got into this for either, kid. I'm trying. And I was like, huh, I just wanted part. So that's all the people that were sending me out for. And and I, uh, I don't know what, what it was on theater. I was, I was working all the time, but here they started looking at me like, you're a little strange. I started to lose some hair at 19 already. I was 23 when I came out, just turned 23. And came out to California and 
maybe my eyes were a little more intense up close than they were on stage. I don't know. So they just didn't know quite what to do with me. And they don't, they don't know if you're going to turn into a zucchini in front of the camera. They just don't know. Yeah. So I'd, I'd, I'd sort of fallen apart. A, a, a year in, I'm, I finally succumbed and took, to, took a job in a restaurant because I was going to burn up all my bailing hay money, which I'd come out with, you know, like I'd, I'd stockpiled my bailing hay money since I was a kid. And I was burning through it. So mm -hmm. I, okay, I'm starting to wait tables. I'm going to kill myself. Um, I wasn't supposed to do this. I, I, I know I'm supposed to be in the theater. And and then all of a sudden, uh, I run into him on the street after I've left him and he hasn't come to see my play. He's gotten out of being an agent and he's in casting now for something else. And, and he goes, how did you know that I would be here? I said, I don't know. I'm shopping for Christmas presents because I can't fly home. And, and he says, Go over to Lynn Stallmaster's office now. They've been calling me all day. I just happened to run into him while I'm shopping and I haven't seen him. And he's like, I called you four times today. Did you change your number? All right. So I go over to Lynn Stallmaster's office and they say, go over to Paramount Pictures now. And uh, and I'm reading the script. They, they, they want, Lynn's not here. He's already over at the studio. They've been waiting. They want you to come in. I'd met him in a general interview that Stuart Jensen, this agent, had set me up on. And I, I had to get, I had to wear a suit. I didn't have a suit. I stopped at a friend's house, big guy. Uh, one of the few people I knew from New York that was there and, and the suit's a little baggy. And, and I look like crazy when I come in. And the minute they open the door, they just look at me in the baggy suit and they go, Ooh, good to see you. <laughs> and so like, <clears throat> then I read the part and it was a nervous breakdown scene. So I was about to have a nervous breakdown at that point. And I, I did it. It was because they cut, the, they didn't even shoot the scene. They never ever had it because Faye Dunaway was chewing up the scenery and the director's wife passed away during the filming and he went nuts. And so I, the scene that I auditioned with was a great nervous breakdown scene. And it was like a cool scene. And it's where Christopher goes in to see mm -hmm. his mother in, in the coffin. And he hasn't said goodbye. He hasn't said, I love you. He hasn't said, fuck you. He, he's all these conflicted emotions. And he just loses it. And, you know, that, that as soon as I did the scene, they said one of the, one of two times in my career was they know that you're not going to hold out for too much money. They just hand me the script and said, it's yours. Wow. And I said, it's my, 20, it's my birthday today. Thank you. I just came at it like a year ago and I was, about, I was about to throw in the chips and go back. And they said, well, happy birthday. We can't wait to work with you. And it's a thing. And I walked by at Paramount Studios. They have this huge blue screen backdrop for any time they have to shoot in case it's not a clear day. Uh -huh. They shoot against that giant backdrop across the parking lot. And I felt like I was, you know, Mary Poppins. E.T. hadn't been shot yet, but basically I just felt like I was floating across the sky. Wow. To get on the other side of the lot to get back to my car. And I just like, they gave me the part. I got a movie and it's a big, you know, the, the gates at Paramount are so magical. You walk through those gates and you feel you've been anointed by St. Peter. What a if great you, story. And just the, the lead up to oh, it. Sorry, I went on. <laughs> How the stars aligned just to get that role. And it just, uh, from there, I guess you could say the rest is history. I mean, your early credits include some of your TV credits, MASH, Incredible Hulk, Remington Steel, A-Team, V, one of my favorite shows. And then you land on Terminator 2, okay? First of all, does it annoy you that when you go to your IMDb profile, it says that you are known for Terminator 2? Well, like as you're saying, like I, I suddenly feel like, but wait, I got volunteers before that. And volunteers is, you know, it was a big Tom Hanks movie mm -hmm. with John Candy right after Splash. And, you know, and Tom and I were, were friends. We were played college roommates in that. And that was the first time I ever left the country because we shot it all in Mexico. And that was my second movie. I, that, the Incredible Hulk was the first TV show. And then there yeah. was a lot of the ones that I don't even know if they still show up, but like Heart to Heart and 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 uh there were tales of the gold monkey was one of the early ones that nobody remembers now but those 
early shows when you would get the call from your agent because i switched as soon as i did mommy dearest and you were asking before about what is it like to go from theater to, i saw myself in mommy dearest and the story is that without going back to it too much but it is the 40-year anniversary they I, I had in the theater, you show up a half an hour, maybe an hour before you get your makeup on and go mm -hmm. on stage. I'm there for seven hours after waiting five months to shoot my scenes. And going to touch base with the director at a certain point and meeting Faye, meeting two, two movie stars and one Faye Dunaway as Joan Crawford stepping out of a white 1930s Rolls Royce. Oh, hello. And Xander's going to be playing his Francis off out of her mind. And um, <laughs> you think I'm crazy. And, and, uh, and the director say, oh, yeah, we're all on track. And then the day I show up to shoot the big nervous breakdown scene, uh, he, he comes over to me. I'm in the funeral home, a real funeral home with real flowers. My grandmother just passed away. She was very Joan Crawford. And I was like holding all these real emotions for seven hours. How long does, I, okay, Xander, they're ready for your shot. They got it all set up. Just. And, and the director's going to come just chat with you for a second. Frank Perry comes over. He goes, um, so uh, Diana Scarwood, uh, your sister. Oh, you, yeah, you know, you, you met her. You, you've already shot the other scene and the lawyer's off. Okay. So this is the final day of shooting and I'll get to finally do the big thing. And he's, so she's going to come out from behind the curtain. You two are going to greet each other. You haven't seen each other in a little while. And you're going to go exit. She, the curtain, the curtain, we, we're, we're the body. Anyway. And I said, well, let's, so when am I going to go in to, to look at the body? And he said, oh, no, that's a scrub. We cut that months ago. No, no, no. She's going to, we don't know that he actually was. Anyway, so she's going to come out. You two are going to greet each other and you're going to go. And remember, everybody, no acting. He walks off. <laughs> a scrub? what's a scrub and i go over there i'm so mad at this point like that i've waited this long and with all this emotion and now i don't get to go in and have my nervous breakdown scene. <laughs> so i'm gonna have a nervous breakdown so i go over and like okay no no acting so i look like an alien on lsd like some sort of like insect from another dimension with my eyes were like sticking out and i'm like <laughs> when i greet her and I, I saw that I went to the, the, the cast and crew screening before it opened and I was like, I'm going to go hide under a rock and then I'm going to go back to the theater because I, I need to be seen at a distance because I am too much information. And I don't know. Anyway, I thought I was horrible and that you can't look like I do. I'm too weird. I, I didn't realize how weird I was until I saw myself on camera. And then, I, I, so I just... But in the meantime, before the movie had come out, I'd started doing a bunch of TV. Because as soon as you've been, had the seal of approval stamped on your forehead, you've been in a big Paramount movie before it came out, yeah. I was working. Yeah. And, uh, but I didn't think I would ever work again once it came out. But somehow I did. Yeah. And then I got volunteers and, and, um, and then I was, I was working and I was playing a sweet guy in that. But then by the time somehow I'd played enough, I told my agent early on, I just, I want to get used to cameras because cameras aren't used to me and I need to get used to them. We need to build a relationship. They've got a different bad guy on every episode of television as I see it. So I need to, like I trained as an actor in the theater. I want to train as an actor in camera. Just get me any bad guy because already at the time they were resistant to racial profiling as whether black or latino they didn't want to keep making those guys the bad guys so but if you were a little bit starting to lose your hair and you had crazy eyes perfect and i could have theater chops i could do any accent so i was playing german terrorists i was playing you know speed freaks i was playing you know crazy psychos and and uh i could go into the office and everybody said they need to see it walk in they need to see they don't they don't have an imagination in hollywood like in the theater they respect craft there they just need to see the guy walk in mm -hmm. so i would do i was a makeup artist in the theater from early on because i'm a painter and a sculptor and that was what another whole conversation i would go in and make myself up to look crazy like i need to 
<laughs> I'm joking. Um, but I would at the time break the capillaries and or redden the eyes and or decay the teeth and and darken, put shit in my hair and, and just go into the office and go like, huh. And they, because I said, mommy dears, I got the part because I look like in the baggy suit and I yeah. look like, and they said, so would you be willing, I remember in the mommy dears interview, I'm keeping this, this whole interview is going to be about mommy dear. They said, would you be willing to lighten your hair a little bit? And I said, um, well, I knew he was supposed to be damaged. And so I remember answering, I haven't been out in a long time, but if I go outside and just with a little bit of lemon juice, I know that a lot of my hair will go blonde again. And like, they just, he's fucking crazy. He's perfect for this. And they gave me the part and they go, well, no, we'll lighten it. You're fine. Just leave it the way it is. And, uh, cause I can go outside. I'll go outside. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but so I would go into the rooms like I was fucking crazy. Uh-huh. And but I would be nice. Yeah. But I'd be like, so and they they said, so are you ready to read? They go, no, it's, it's, it's I've been reading this whole time. <laughs> yeah. What? And 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 then I would get parts, but the word got around that I was a fucking psycho. I don't know how that got around, but but that I would always show up on time. I would always have all my lines memorized. I would they would never have to do another take because of me. And I was no trouble. So I kept getting work. But there there's a little bit of a like and but I also I made a vow to myself because I was a little baby hippie and I went, if I'm gonna play bad people, if I'm gonna hold a gun. If I'm going to do this shit, I'm going to make it repulsive because I don't want to encourage anybody to do yeah. anything bad to somebody else or it's going to appear on my Akashic file and, and I won't do well on the next part though because I know that I shouldn't. And so I, I, uh, I really I do something that actors don't do, but you willingly sacrifice your vanity in the service of a role. Yeah to help tell a story. And on a spiritual level, you make wrongdoing ugly. You don't make it sexy. You don't no. make, it cool. yeah. make it vile. Yeah. And then people won't want to behave that way. It, it was my thinking. But then I can remember, like, I would go and, and, and would chat up a casting director, but they'd seen me and things and they'd heard the stories and, and I, I just remember Mally, Mally Finn is one of my favorite all-time casting directors who cast Terminator 2. And and I can't remember whether it was the interview for T2 or something else after that or before that. And I just said, oh, I think it was some big Joel Schumacher movie that was after that. And I said, well, Mally, can I read for this part? And like a nice guy. And she go, come on, Sandra, let's face it. You're never going to play the nice guy next door. <laughs> and I went, ask every old Jewish lady in my neighborhood, just go up and down the street and ask them who the nice guy next door is. Just ask them. Come on, come on, we're going to go now. No, 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 I know. I said, because they'll all say it's me. It is. I'm the, the, the goyish, um, uh, I'll change the light bulbs uh -huh. on Saturday. I'll do anything, you know, and I... And, you know, get them whatever they need. Because and, and, I've always been the nice guy next door. And I take pride in that. And, you know, I ask all the neighbors now. But she just said, you just have that lean and hungry look about you. Well, okay. And you're and like, what exactly does that mean, lean and hungry? I didn't know until I told my mother. Because my mother was a Texan. And she was, had me in her 40s. And back and visiting her and she says honey i see you with such a sweet boy but they just have you pegged for a weirdo out there <laughs> and I, I i said yeah you know i don't get it entirely i guess i did too many of those characters early on and but just the other day i had an interview with a casting director who i really like and we're, we're i think we're really friends and she said that I just have that lean and hungry look about me. And she goes, 
what that's exactly what they used to tell me <laughs> <laughs> you know looking at all your roles uh you're not the bad guy. I don't see you as the bad guy, whether it's in 24, okay? Where your character ended in 24 making a sacrifice. That's the closest I ever came to redemption as a human, as an actor. Yeah, you sacrificed yourself to save Jack Bauer and, you know, and help him in against the terrorists, which was a part of every season of 24, but I saw you as the character that you just want to come up to and just give up like a, a smack to the back of the head of that character and say, snap out of it. You know, get your head out of your ass. Stop being, you know, such a, a, a dick to so-and-so and, and whatnot. Not the kind of person that you would want to go to and like, kill like characters like bad antagonists that you see on tv that you just want to throttle them with a you know whatever a, a baseball bat you know it's because you caught into my career like on the i'd already done those roles mm -hmm. i'd done them i'd actually in my 20s i did it a few too many times and felt like it was starting to even though i had my moral thing about like make them bad it, it was a negative energy and I tried different ways. I would get into, I would play psychos. I played the bad guys for a while, but not in big, big movies. Yeah. I, I played them in a bunch of TV stuff and like for Michael Mann and for, for serious good TV. Um, but I, I did a bunch of, I did a couple of serial killers and a couple of just psychos and, I, uh, bad, bad guys. And I, I tried to go about it intellectually. I tried to go about it sort of emotionally in the beginning. And it just, you, you, you don't bring it home. Like you're not going to start acting that way, but it just stays in your body. Yeah. And it stays in your head. And you're trying to, you know, cause you're trying to be good when you're young, you just want to get into it and stay into it. And I would listen to like, crazy music right before I and then I would go and I would just stay in this place and it just felt like it was not good mm -hmm. and I, I remember that one of the last ones I did was uh, I was doing LA Takedown for Michael Mann before we did Heat I was the only guy that was in both but it was the exact same script as you you may know you're a yeah. cinephile well in the LA Takedown version I play the Wayne Grow character and in that um, a friend of mine was writing a book about uh, she she ended up writing for Rolling Stone all these great she's a great writer Jennifer Allen and it was about um, a book about the fans of the hardcore like fans of serial killers she was writing a book about Richard Ramirez the Hillside Strangler yeah. and he was on trial at the time and, it, and I went down to do I did drawings for her for a book and. Uh, down at the criminal courts and in the back of the fucking courtroom drawing Richard Ramirez he's shackled he's got this he was a scary yeah he was a scary, yeah, scary motherfucker absolutely and he was evil and he had all these fans that wanted girls that wanted to marry him and stuff and she was writing about that phenomenon and uh, he was shackled and and he he could sense that I was drawing him. He was all the way at the front. And you could just see, and he was rattling in his chair, was handcuffed behind him. He was like, heaving back and forth. And I just remember he did this one thing where he just like turned and I was all the way up in the bathroom. It whipped away. It was like a snake, like a python just went. And he focused on you. Me. Wow. Black guys. Like he was facing the other way and he spins around, pivots, and nails me. And he does a one, one, one. Wow. And I was like, ooh, shit, man. But it was so scary that I used it for this Wayne Grove character. Just, I, I, it was just, he immediately put his physicality into my body. It's like my, my wife, Sarah Clark, 
you know what a great actor she is. She yeah. was in 24 as well, played Nina Myers. She mm -hmm. has this capacity. She was doing it earlier today for some reason. I, I'm, because I begged her to do this little impersonation and she can just channel some little detail. She focuses on something and it's like, you just feel them in the, in the room. Suddenly they're back. They, they've been gone for 10, 15 years and suddenly she just brought them back to life. They're in the room with you. And I, for some reason, I sort of just, I said, I'm not going to think about dark thoughts. I'm not going to feel bad energy. I'm not going to get into, I'm just going to physically do his physical behavior because it was so disturbing. I'll just use that for the Wayne Grove character. And I was lively and I was fun on set. Michael Mann was walking around with me, loved it. He was my next cultural hero, Sandberg. Tell me another one, Michael. Um, and I ended up getting hives all over my body. And I ended up actually at one point during one of these scenes, right at the end, it, it, it like almost in my throat, they had to go and give me uh, some sort of steroid shot so I could yeah. breathe. And like that's how, and so I swore off those characters forever and uh, just won't, won't go there anymore. Those movements that you were just doing reminded me of the movements you were sort of doing in The Dark and the Wicked as the priest. You know, oh, really? sort of hunched over, you know, head down. And I've told you this in our many conversations. That is the creepiest priest. You're, you know, you playing, which is a demon. You're playing a demon that's mocking a priest. Yeah, I just said I swore off the dark character. I think I'm just now in my 60s feeling like I can go there now. I feel and, comfortable doing it. I feel like I'm impervious to yeah. I, I have the power now to to have control over it. Now why uh The Dark and the Wicked was like the top horror movie in 2020. I, I wanted to ask you, it was such a small but intense role. What attracted you to the dark and the wicked? Um the Wall of Mexico was at South by Southwest. Okay, nobody saw the Wall of Mexico. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bet money on it. But it got into South by Southwest, and I shot it in Mexico right before we moved to Maine. And uh, it was a fun movie, and we had a great time down there. And I, I was happy to go celebrate it at, at South by Southwest. Um, I went to college with Janet Pearson, who runs the festival, and I've been. I was excited to see her and I, I've done a bunch of movies in Texas. My relatives were all down there. So I was having a ball at South by Southwest and uh, a, a producer friend who had done um, the Louisiana film prize with, we both had been judges, Gregory Kallenberg. I'm going to give a shout out to him and the Louisiana film prize because they do such a beautiful thing with famous chefs and or just great chefs, star chefs and great musicians and films and they give a film prize to young filmmakers that that make movies short films in louisiana they give prize money for them to do their next movie there and it's a really great thing and and milan chakabarty um was a i think i got his name pronounced right i said it fast because i got it wrong but milan is just the hollywood hindu is his handle on instagram and and uh he's awesome and uh, we'd become great friends as judges in, in Louisiana. And um, so he comes up and, and says, Xander, what are you doing next week? You're in Texas. What are you doing next week? And I said, oh, I'm going back home, I guess the day after tomorrow, I think. And he goes, no, you're not, please. And, and I go, what? And he goes, read this, read the script. It's so good. And we need you. And my manager somehow uh, had uh, people in it um like the main people and he was like calling me around the same time going they really need that they would love to and, I, and so i was like okay what is it and i thought i'll just channel my evil texas relatives no i don't have any evil texas i have a lot of texas relatives but I, I would go down there and okay, they do a little, they did a little bit of weird table tipping and stuff like that. They were a little seancey and a little creepy. Mm -hmm. um, and I thought, but they were also very, very, 
Calvinist and it's, you know, in the buckle yeah. of the Bible belt down there. So it was a weird mix of the sort of like seancey thing and the, and the Christian thing. And, and I just thought that it would fit if I just kind of just tapped into my earliest childhood memories of my oldest weird trippy or even just not even them but driving through texas and seeing like hillbillies and 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 my and people just rolling down the window and talking to them and they were old and they'd come up and they'd talk and they'd, well my goodness look at you now y'all getting to be a big boy now aren't you and i was like Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> how do i roll this window back up um, and it's just so it's like a little bit of uh, tapping into that. And then I think, um, you know, I wanted to do a shout out to Max Fonsito when he passed and in this past year. And I think about how one of the things that pissed me off so much about the Oscars is how quickly they flipped through all these great, great, iconic movie stars who passed mm-hmm. and then gave all that time to so much weird yeah. nonsense. Max von Sydow. I mean, come, come on. on. It's like Olivia de Havilland. Yeah. Let's show some fucking respect. And uh, him, uh, when he was this iconic leading man for Ingmar Bergman, and so he played a priest in... in the Exorcist. In, in the Exorcist was the scariest movie of all time. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, a little bit of an homage to his kind of iconic... Uh, sort of archetypal-ness and then crumple it up into a weird Texas cracker. Make it your own, yeah. Make it my own. And and, and, uh, it was just an incredible opportunity to do something in just a few days. That is. It was. It was great. I didn't bring my kit. I didn't have my makeup kit. So I had to do it all with just, and they did, and the makeup artist, it was a low-budget movie. They didn't have much of a kit. And I said, so look, what do you got? What do we got? What are we going to do? Well, okay, it's going to be a little crude, but we're going to do what we can do with this. And I aged myself up. And the, I think the reason why that, that movie was effective, I, I credit a spider that um, I actually shot footage of. Because in the very first scene with Michael, he pulls up in the truck, the first scene I shot, we just... They didn't even have much to choose from, from wardrobe. And this hat, I guess this hat is going to have to do. It's not great, but we'll make it work, just like we'll make the makeup work. And have it on. And Oh, yeah, that was creepy. That was scary. Here comes my wife now. <laughs> the back door. Is that a spirit? Here, hold on. I'll be right back. All right. Um, <laughs> um, that... Uh, he pulls up in the truck and it's starting to rain and I come up and I, and I'm, uh, I'm being creepy with him like those old weird mountain people that I remember in Texas in the 1960s that were ancient. So like I was tapping into that character and I'm there just waiting. And as soon as his truck pulls up, I feel something in the first rehearsal. I just sort of like, no, it was the first take and uh, the master shot and it just something hit my hat and I saw something in my peripheral vision and I just stayed in it. And then we cut and we're going to go again from another angle or another take of that. And this spider went right, like a massive spider went right under the rim of my hat. Wow. That, and then climbed back up on top and I took out my camera and I, I just took a picture so I could see what the hell was up there. And it was like, Oh, that is fucking creepy. There were spiders in the script. Yeah. And I had come in like the day before to get ready for this thing, like out of the blue. So I hadn't really mapped out. And I didn't realize that they couldn't quite, it would be too on the nose to have a spider in the scene because, but I just thought, wait a minute, there's something about spiders. This thing wants to be in this fucking movie. And I said to the director, and this is like to Brian Bertino's great credit, he didn't shut me down. I said, can we just leave him up there and keep going to see what happens? And instead of worrying about matching and sync, you know. Yeah. He said, yeah, we'll just, just go again. Let's just go again. And 
So we shot another take and it was still across. Wow. And then and then we go and we do we do that angle and then he goes in for the close up or the on Michael's close up and Michael Abbott, great guy. Uh, the, the, those guys were great. Um, yeah, just cool people all the way around. And anyway, they come back on me and on all the coverage, you know, it takes hours to shoot a scene, you know, a couple hours anyway, maybe an hour and a half at least to get all the angles mm-hmm. on a trip from the master shot, from his close up to mine and the weather and the lighting. And that motherfucker stayed up there the whole time, just kept crawling around, would come under the hood, and go on the top. Ended up making a nest up on the very top. Wow. And and just making itself at home. And I, I, I shot a video of it, as scary as the movie. <laughs> I mean, considering that your character... I mean, considering that your character was the, you know, the human form of a demon... It, you know what your story reminds me of? Like America, the Amityville horror story with the flies. You know how the flies represented the evil in the house? That sort of reminds me of your story with the spider being attracted to your character, which was the human embodiment of a demon that we find out at the end of the film. Well, I don't know. I think he might also have just been a good old country preacher. <laughs> I think you're projecting a little bit now, aren't you? <laughs> I might be. I might be. Uh, I can leave it an open question as to who and what the devil is. <laughs> Dad, that's spooky how you can do that, man. Uh, <laughs> that really is spooky. What was the first big budget film that you walked onto the lot of and said, bam, this is something like I've never done before? Well, you know, Obviously, the first movie you do is like nothing you've ever done before. And certainly we've talked about Mommy Dearest All We Need To. So it was that. And then uh, for me, volunteers to be in Mexico and to be, you know, uh, just all of that. And uh, I was just so impressed by everything, just being in Mexico and and. But but Terminator Two, you know, was just well. I will say, Sid and Nancy. I, I credit Sid and Nancy with making my career. Um, I don't know if people have seen it. Siskel and Ebert both put it in their top ten of the eighties. We shot it. That in was 19, a great movie. Nineteen eighty-five, and and um, you know, I played a sleazy drug dealer, one of those guys mm-hmm. you know, smack in the back of the head and said, "Get out of your ass." You know, he was yeah. an asshole. He was a drug addict. He was a junkie and a dealer of heroin, and bad bad guy. Uh, but he was like like dealers can be. I've heard. Um, I knew pot dealers. I didn't know hardcore dealers. But there was just something in New York. Um, my sister was friends uh, with a guy from art school, great artist. But he he sold weed, and he was he's gone now. So bless his soul, Ernie Baldaro. Mm-hmm. And his cousin Jackie and the, the Baldaro, they used to come to see Xander. You're gonna do a play? We're gonna come see you in a play. That's great. I love fucking theater. You ever go to theater? Hey, come on, we're gonna go. We're gonna Jackie. Come on. And these guys would come and see me in these plays, and they'd be like talking and they'd be drinking. And like, no, no, no. We don't do this in the theater. <laughs> and she was there doing this great, huh? Like, no, shut the fuck up. <laughs> don't ever come and see me in a play again. But I would go and hang out just to study their behavior. And while they're dealing weed and in New York City and like in their apartment, like large amounts. If they had a cousin that was a cop that would fly in from, you know, Florida. And anyway, it was a fascinating subculture. And then we would, they would get me into Studio 54 when I was 19, 20, 20 years old with all the. I grew up in New York City, and for me, it was the limelight, which has sort of like the reputation yeah. of what Studio Fifty Four had back in the day. Yeah, and in the day, the, the, so to get in, and they obviously had connections. I think there was, I think there was a little bit of that cocaine involved as well, because they seemed to have a good connection with the guy at the door, because we always got in, whoever. And uh, I was always, thank God, I was always allergic to cocaine. Um, and but i watched these guys do their dealing and i used their care for my character in sick nancy and 
I did my makeup for the audition. Vicky Thomas, great casting director, has me in. And uh, that was a game changer for me, that one. And I did my makeup and I, I had a bottle of beer like I'm drinking right now. It's a weird Maine beer. Right. Um, and I, I, got it, I got it across the street and I had it in a brown paper bag and you could smoke in offices back then. I, I didn't smoke, but I, I got a pack of cigarettes so I could get one, let, let it go in my eyes. And like, I looked fucked up when I walked out of this. Hey, and, and Mickey's like, I had, a, like a, I had one of these cheery little, like young, hopeful resume pictures. And <laughs> I hate the picture. I've seen it since, woo. Um, and she's looking down at it, she goes, nice to meet you, Sandy. You, you look so different from your resume picture. And I go, yeah, you know, it's nice to be able to go to one. I just really have to get all spruced up. <laughs> <laughs> and, and she's filming the whole thing. And then I, I improvise in character. I do the whole thing. And they, I get the part. They send it to London. They're shooting in Paris and London at the time. They've already started filming the shooting in chronological sequence before they get to the New York city sequences. They fly me in and uh, I go to the set before you know, I go to the hotel, they drop me out, they bring me to set for costume fitting. And, and, uh, and I think we've already done that in LA. I can't remember, but I, I pretty much had the whole thing worked out, go to the hotel, come back to set. They bring me to meet the director because he's cast me off a videotape. Alex Cox, he just had done Repo Man, mm-hmm. about a year older than me, but he's like Ichabod Crane, very tall, very strange, very punky, spiked hair at the time. And uh, so, Alex, we want you to meet Xander. Alex, he says, oh, you're so clean. I thought somehow we had miraculously discovered a junkie who could act naturally in front of a camera, but oh well. I used many of your ad-lib lines, incorporated them into the script, so I couldn't with good conscience not give you the part now. All right, well, so anyway, he walks away. He was so disappointed that he hadn't found a junkie who could act naturally in front of a camera. He was just like, oh, you're so clean. Uh, so I went back to the hotel and I made myself back up and I got stayed in character the whole time just because that would have been a disappointment to him and everybody else uh-huh. if I had. And so it, it, it's weird. That one, uh, and I just working with Gary Oldman, his first movie, he was so magical. Roger Deakins, Gary and Roger both got their first Oscars year before last. Uh, finally, Roger yes. Deakins made the greatest one of the it's up there with Sven Nickvist as the greatest mm-hmm. cinematographers of all time. And uh, just being with Alex and he, he'd written the script with his then wife, Abby Wool. They were, there was such a confluence of energy and talent in that. And Chloe who played Nancy, just everything. It was a about great it. movie. I mean, there's no other way around it. It was a fantastic movie. Uh, all the way around. Speaking of Gary Oldman, I saw him in a brand new movie yesterday, uh, The Woman in the Window. This has a great cast with uh, Amy Adams, uh, Gary Oldman, Julianne Moore are in this film. What? I've I've been Julianne Moore's husband in Safe. Yes. Yes, you have. Yeah, Adams, I had a phone conversation with on film and one film. Yeah, I feel like... I feel so honored to have worked with. You've the worked great. with everybody. Uh, you, with Tom Hanks, even though you guys shared no scenes in Apollo 13, your character in Apollo 13, which was the NASA press person, your name was Henry, right? Uh, yeah. Uh, I'm trying to put, put it in the right frame of words. You were not a bad person but again the type of character PR person yeah yeah the PR person on film and not be thought of as a bad person (laughs) (laughs) how did you approach that kind of character like when you're talking to tom hanks's wife 
And you're like, well, you know, the news might show a little bit of this later on. And because they didn't show the broadcast while the Apollo 13 crew were doing it live. And you're trying to reassure the wife that it's going to, the news might show some clips of it. Uh, sort of like. Why, and she's asking, why didn't they care last week when, when they were like, yeah, you know, going to the moon because suddenly they weren't getting the coverage they've already been to the moon it wasn't a big story until they were in danger of not surviving exactly he said you know it's like well it, it, it's it's news now that people are they're involved it's, it's so simple it just he, you know he's an innocent on a certain level delivering bad news don't shoot the messenger it's like well people are engaged now and and he should have been more tactful in mm -hmm. that moment and said I know it's so messed up that they weren't covering it before and they, they should have been. And, and now they want it because, that, but he, he, they just, they wrote it that this is a guy in that culture. Like, well, this is what puts eyeballs on, on screens. Yeah. yeah. It's, not, it's not personal. And I guess that's what made him such an asshole is not playing him like an asshole, but just like, well, well, I mean, like a PR person, like the, yeah, they're in the culture. If you've exactly. ever met a PR person, and you, you know, you, you can like them a lot. I was that guy that on every film, this is my sort of approach avoidance, sort of a, a way to sabotage fame. Every, I could be on location in a foreign country and we'd all be in a culture. We'd all be like hanging out. And then suddenly somebody would show up in the middle of the, the run of a picture. That's not a new character or an actor. It's the rest of the crew's there all the way through, and like, who's this new person? And everybody is flocking to them. Mm -hmm. Suddenly, like, there flies all over this this new person, and I'm going like, who's that new person? Oh, they're head of PR for the thing, and I go, okay, and I would go the other way. I just never, never wanted that. Yeah, I, I, I never wanted to see dailies. When I'm in it, I want to stay in it. I want to tell the story. I don't want to be outside of it commenting on like what I'm doing to tell the story. This takes me out of it. It's just not my, where my joy ever was. Yeah. yeah. A lot of actors are smart and they're savvy about like, this is going to help my career. I want to get on this shit. I just was like. Totally get it. Oh. I, I totally get it. I really do. And that character going, to, you know, staying on Apollo 13 just for a second more. He wasn't a bad guy. He was a, perfectly decent human being but he was just your he was a reason there was a reason why he was nasa's public relations press person and that's why he had the job and you played you know it what, perfectly you know what was so exciting about that movie it's one of those ones where you shoot a bunch of stuff that doesn't end up in the movie and you don't care you're even glad that they didn't have to um shoot it uh, that they didn't have to use it because uh, ron howard said on that one so funny we were just talking earlier tonight about our kid when she was in sixth grade our, our elder uh the two um they were watching apollo 13 for school and she didn't know i was in it and suddenly and she was brand new we just moved to maine and she's like that's daddy <laughs> she's the only one that knows and not everyone knows yet uh, and I was joking today earlier, really because so, I look more like her then than I do now. <laughs> and I look like me now. But um, yeah, it, it was um, it was such an amazing movie to work on. And Ron, um, we had space school for two weeks, solid weeks, like crash course at at, uh, at in, in NASA essentially. But they had recreated NASA so effectively, so meticulously. NASA of the 60s was on the on the back lot of Universal Studios. And I remember when the NASA guys showed up to teach the classes that had been there in the day and they, they walk into the, the set and they go, man, I haven't been here and like, wait, I'm not here. I'm, okay. It messed with their heads. How, how accurately they recreated yeah. it. Yeah. And, um, you know, in fact, the people we were having dinner with tonight are neighbors with Jim Lovell. And that's what, what we were talking about at dinner and, and the fact that, that 
that he is still, he's 96 years old, and he, he was talking about how he was walking his dog, and Mark's like, hey, Jim, you out there walking the dog in the middle of this freaking blizzard? Yeah, no, uh, he's coming whether he likes it or not. He's like riding up the hill, and he's going to walk that dog. He's just still, he's that guy who I can remember on set. I asked him, I, I just love this story about Jim Lovell. It's, these guys are the greatest scientists, the greatest athletes, and the unbelievable, bravest heroes we have, these guys. I just can't believe it. And I say to him, like, so wait a minute. You're, you're there, you realize you're not going to be able to land. You somehow figure out you got to use the, the orbit of the moon and slingshot around yourself back to to the planet earth where you live and where you're you want to get back there and there are all these obstacles whether it be the heat shield or this or that or the other thing and did you panic at any at any point in this process he said well another thing you have to understand about about panic is that okay suppose you engage in a panic uh mode for suppose it lasts from five to seven minutes at the end of that interval of time, you'll be right where you where you were at the beginning of your panic engagement. With but nothing you accomplished. Accomplish. Wow. So it, it's a zero-sum game. So no, uh, there'd be no point. Like, what must it be like <laughs> to be so... I mean, you're out there, you're in the middle of space, and just to keep that mindset... Oh my God, I'd be like, oh my God, I'm going to die. I'm in a vacuum of space. I'm halfway between the moon and Earth. I'm dead. And I mean, just thinking out that I couldn't get on Skype. Like that. <laughs> back to Earth. Yeah. Um, yeah so the, uh, the thing about, um, about that, we, we did space school for a couple of weeks and, and it was so depth. And I was interested, I'd been interested since I was a kid. So I studied a lot when I went home and I was just like depth study download into my brain so that when um, they, they used me as an insurance policy, essentially, Ron was saying, they had me, uh, f they, they had the press corps, a uh, group of extras with actors placed amidst them asking questions that the audience might be asking in case they weren't following the story. Yeah. And they had me because I've been to space school in a position of improvising, uh, an extrapolation of these questions. They didn't give me the questions in advance. He knew that I could answer them at this point. So he had these live responses of people throwing out different questions in a, in a hectic press core situation. And I had to extrapolate what they're asking in uh techno terminology into layman's terminology so the audience could follow it yeah yeah totally and, and the pr guy would he would want to make this sort of abstruse you know high-minded yeah science talk and converted to layman terms comprehensible and so i was able to do that improvisationally in in the course of these scenes that he kept filming a lot of because he just didn't know when they were going to drop out. And I remember when we were through and he'd edited it and we went to the, 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 the premiere, he said, Sam, I just want to say, you provided me with, so, I'm so sorry we didn't use more of your stuff because it was all great. It was all great. But I, 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 I realized at a certain point that they, the, the audience, they were on for the ride and it didn't matter if they didn't follow because they were just with us. And so we didn't have to answer, but you gave me such peace. I was able to sleep each night knowing that if we ever needed to, we could cut to any of those sequences and, and have them. Oh, okay. I get it. Oh, wow. Such great stories. We are almost out of time. I want to give you a little bit of time to talk about some upcoming projects. I just want to point out your role as Magistrate Hale in Salem. I love the show Salem. Oh, and, what a fantastic job you did portraying John Hale, Magistrate Hale, uh, on that great show. Were you sad to see that show come to an end? Well, I was sad to see my head get blown off after in uh, CGI uh, when I hadn't planned on that happening. 
um, I, I, I thought I was going to have uh, more of a future with the show. Um, they they succumbed to uh, some really like cheap shot choices uh, in order to try and like wow the audience. It was a new, um, a new network to WGN at the time, and it didn't have a a big strong presence. A lot of people couldn't find. I couldn't find it when I was trying to find it yeah. to watch it. Um, so. Adam Simon wrote the original, he, he was the creator of the show. And I'd known him since the eighties from Tim Robbins actors gang. And we'd done all this stuff in the theater and I'd done his USC short film and around, around the same time I said, Nancy 85. So I'd known him forever. And I, I wanted to support him. I was doing Nikita at the time. He begged me to sign up and say that I would be a part of this. And I could be, he would use my pictures in the book along with people from history and stuff and like, okay. Um, he knew that I was a buff on this same subject matter and he, nobody knows more about this stuff than the occult and Adam Simon. And, and he's just he's a fucking genius. He's Harvard crazy. Yeah. Brain. And uh, he, he had this depth knowledge of where the story was going to go, the branches, but he had this depth understanding of having read everything under the sun as the roots of this druidic tree that we were going to tap into. But the writer, you know, they, they just kind of, they were kept sort of rediscovering the trunk um, instead of exploring the roots of the, or the higher yeah. branch. I see, uh, yeah, but, I, yeah, you got that, right? Mm -hmm. And they, they wanted to defy the reality of, of the patriarchy before establishing it. Yeah. So they used me just as a kind of like, the white guy to rebel the old white guy to rebel against instead of what the patriarch that was both a, a witch from mm -hmm. the pagan roots who whose parents had been burned at the stake but who had been raised by puritans and he'd become the magistrate and he was in a position of power and they wanted to just i i, I don't know they were, it was a really conflicted situation because i love the character so much i loved his ideas and what he wanted to do but he wasn't the showrunner yet and he didn't get to make those choices. Yeah, and, yeah. And it, it's one of it's one of those shows that I, I'm totally with you with everything you're saying. Uh, it just I feel it's it's underrated. It's underrated. Uh, it should have gotten a lot more attention than it did. But I'm also agreeing with you that it did go slightly off course in several parts and certain segments of the show. So I totally understand what you're saying. Uh, they could do it and do it do it right mm -hmm. oh my god the potential for that show was heartbreakingly awesome and so when it fell short of it uh i i was i was i was a little heartbroken yeah. because i knew what it could be but uh <clears throat> just the atmospheres they created and joseph poro with the the costumes that he made for that show and i mean it, that, it that thing it was brilliant that's that they made oh. recreate oh, god it was so fun just walking into those sets and those costumes it really brought you back to 1692 salem i mean absolutely now uh i just want to give you a chance you have an upcoming pilot that is uh i have the name here somewhere what is the name well, of the pilot I Sarah. it's easy to remember because it's called the republic the republic i lived in the republic of sarah and then i was casting kidding it's a joke honey um, and it's about a little town in New Hampshire that was, uh, the, the maps were drawn in the 1850s, so that it was Canada. And then the year later it was America and it remained an exception. So when the mining company comes in to tear the town apart, um, the girl who is the main character, uh, Stella Baker, fabulous actor, some great young actors on this show, man, oh man. Anyway, it's like a cross between the Gilmore Girls meets West Wing. It's a, a lesson in civics. It's about a, a, it's about a little town becoming its own country, becoming wow. a republic. That sounds and interesting. In order to protect itself from invasion of mining corporations, <laughs> and and, uh, and she, I, I play the, the deadbeat dad who's been missing for a long time that suddenly shows up, and it's to his advantage because it's a non-extradition country. And, He's wanted by the FBI, but he's wanted, as it turns out, for a pretty good reason, because he he uh, he published a lot of classified information oh. about uh, corruption 
So wow. anyway, that's all I'm going to say. That's probably all I'm allowed to say. It's probably more than I'm allowed to say. You said, uh, you said, yeah, you said quite a bit. Uh, when, where, when, and where can we expect to see this pilot? New flips. <laughs> um, it's a, uh, it's on the CW starting June 14th. June 14th. It's called the Republic you know, of Sarah. Yeah, and I, 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 we've Sarah and I watched it. Uh, they they gave us the link to watch the pilot and and then certain episodes that I'm in. Uh, in the beginning and, and stuff. I don't come in until a little ways in. So bear with me. Hang on. I'll be in there. You'll be there. Xander, thank you so much. Dude, I don't know how to describe it. You are like this ball of talent, uh, I guess is the phrase that comes to mind. You are so talented. Uh, it's been an honor talking to you tonight. But not only that, the fact that we've been talking on and off for months uh has been an honor to just have these conversations back and forth and to actually get to talk to you face to face well not virtually face to face at least it's been a pure honor thank you so much for your patience through all the tech problems we were having in the beginning we put our heads together we managed to get this interview live on the air i Give you know full credit to persistence on that on both our ends. Yeah, on both our ends, yeah. And my and my eleven year old Rowan who tried to open a new app on her thing, but her school doesn't let her do that stuff. But yes. we tried that thing. Yes, they, I, that... I have techno resistance, and and I, I thank you. It's been a pleasure dealing with you. I love smart, intelligent, kind, thoughtful people like yourself. Thank and you. And I like all people, but I got a I got a soft spot for people that really are as tuned in and, and thank you kind of thank you that means that means so much i'm not going to hold you any longer it's late into the night thank you so much for joining us for being a part of this interview guys thank you so much for tuning in have a great weekend on behalf of xander and myself stay safe guys and as always stay walking till monday have a great weekend bye bye